0: Hello, I'm Grayson Brulty, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. Before this episode begins, please kindly take a moment to subscribe and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, I sat down with Dave Glazer, Senior Vice President of Product and Merchant Development at MasterCard to discuss their awesome multi-rail strategy for the future of payment technology, the evolution of QR codes, And how mastercard is using partnerships to drive innovation and stay ahead of the curve sit back relax and enjoy this episode welcome to the podcast dave thanks grayson dave to kick off the podcast will you please kindly share a high level overview of mastercard and the innovations that mastercard is currently working on sure
1: you know mastercard has been a been a leader in the payment space for the last what 50 60 years maybe um we're we're best known for our credit and debit card usage, our open platforms, uh, and, the, and our and our priceless initiatives. I think from uh, from consumers around the world, uh, we are we do we do think of ourselves as one of the more innovative players in the space. So we, uh, in addition to uh, in addition to card payments, we we have what we call a multi rail strategy. Um, we're very, very much, uh, working towards, uh, expanding payments around the world and very much also investing in emerging markets, really helping to, uh, to bring, uh, all the benefits of electronic payments to, um, underbanked and underserved populations.
0: When I speak to individuals on wall street or individuals in the payment industry that thinks that MasterCard is innovative. And I listened to your recent, uh, earnings call and multi-rail strategy came up several times. Will you please kindly share a high level overview for our listeners of what MasterCard's multi-rail strategy is? Sure, you know,
1: very simply what we mean by multi-rail is, is, is uh, payments beyond traditional credit cards and, and debit card processing. Um, and so, so we're investing heavily in, in, in many different areas of, of the payments ecosystem. So things like uh, digital currencies, uh, blockchain, uh, business-to-business payments, uh, QR payment platforms in certain parts of the world. All of those would be other rails in addition to, to the core uh, uh, things that we're known for best.
0: So just to put it in, in simple terms, MasterCard is not just a, a credit card, debit card processing. It is a, f- a full-blown payments ecosystem. Is that a fair statement?
1: That's right. We we provide a full payments management platform.
0: Okay, this is getting really cool. So you've been in the industry for over tw- 20 years. How have you seen the industry Change and evolve.
1: Yeah, it certainly has changed. You know, I'd say first and foremost, you know, the the industry is 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 a technology industry, right? And so, with the advent of the internet, uh, and then and software based services, and then cloud based computing, the payments industry has evolved r- very very rapidly, um, and it's ex- it's extended not just in the in the sort of the dominant Western markets, but really you know everywhere in the world. So. Um, you know, there, there's been a, I think, a few really interesting plays that have happened that I've I've been lucky to be part of. You know, Visa acquired a company called CyberSource back in uh, about 2010, and that was a real that was a real shift. Uh, that caused sort of a new wave in the industry. It was a shift from sort of the large traditional players like Visa taking a look at uh, smaller, more nimbler financial technology players that were moving into the e-commerce space and and becoming more and more uh, interesting for merchants and acquiring banks and others in the ecosystem. Um, And then following that particular acquisition, I think a lot of uh, innovators and investors realized the opportunity in the the payments and, and financial technology space. And we've seen a wave of of startups over the last, you know, ten plus years, uh, move into this space. We've seen many acquisitions and tremendous amount of consolidation and innovation
0: too. Because you're right about the, the fintech from the venture capital standpoint, it's a very hot mar- market where capital's flowing in. Is that primarily just the United States, or are you seeing fintech evolve in other parts of the world?
1: Yeah, it's it's happening everywhere. It's happening in 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 all markets everywhere in the world. I'd say, you know, just you know, just recently, there's there's a lot of news about uh, Ant Financial, which is the you know, financial uh, spinoff from Alibaba in China, uh, preparing for their IPO, right? And they, they've become such a dominant first payments player and then banking player and now financial services player in the, in the China region, but now in, in Asia Pacific and they're expanding around the world. So that's one example. Another great example is a, a firm in, um, you know, based in Argentina called Mercado Libre, which they started, you know, they're tr- traditionally a, a, uh, a retailer, an online retailer, merchant, uh, but they've expanded into developing the payments platform as well. Now they're one of the dominant payments platforms in the, uh, in the uh, Latin America
0: space. And staying on the Asia Pacific and, and the Ant theme here for a minute, what, what do you think drove the, the rapid growth of the QR code payment that we're really seeing dominate over in, in Africa and, and in Asia and not really so much here in the United States? What, what drove that over there?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. We, we did see QR really sort of launch in, in the Asian marketplace uh, and now with, uh, you know, with the pandemic, we're seeing, seeing it uh, uh, show up in other areas of the world, including the U.S. But, but specifically, you know, the unique, unique proposition that first the Chinese players brought to market, the likes of Alipay and WeChat Pay, was that they developed what we call a super app ecosystem. So they developed a single application available for mobile phones that actually had many, many sort of sub apps in them. So not only um, maybe do you do were they offering a retail platform, but they were offering uh, a car service platform and a movie ticket ordering platform and food delivery all within the same app. So that's why we call it a super app. It's a it's one app containing smaller apps. Well, as as that went, there was an opportunity to kind of glue those mini apps together through the through a Uh, payments ecosystem. And so each of those players design their own payment platform and they use QR as a as a as a as a simple and relatively cost effective means to exchange the payment information between those mini apps on their super app platform. And that's and that's how QR as a payment platform, you know, came to life. And that's how it's blossomed. Now, it's interesting about I think it's about 14 percent of all commerce uh, done around the world is using payment uh, QR payments. But 90% of that is in China. So still, it, the QR is a payment platform It's still a dominant, predominantly a Chinese and a Southeast Asia uh, concept, but rapidly starting to extend around the world, as I mentioned.
0: That's really interesting about the super apps because here in America, I mean, Facebook could have a super app, but they broke everything up and you have Messenger and you have Instagram and you have... Facebook do you kind of see that since there's a lot of trends historically that have started in in the Asian markets and worked their way to America do you see that super app trend working its way here with payment integrations coming to America at some point in the future
1: well we haven't we haven't seen the super app construct really take hold anywhere else beyond you know beyond the markets that we talked about Um, there are some smaller examples of it but but I think I think the future is that we'll continue. We in the western, most western markets, whether it's Western Europe or or in the U.S., we'll continue to kind of, you know, see d- relatively dominant uh, retailers and dominant players kind of have their own ecosystem. Less of consolidation. Now, y- you could argue that you know Amazon offers more and more uh, through the Amazon store. So that's a retailer that sells lots of things and off- and is moving into lots of other sorts of services. Um, but it doesn't feel like we're going to see that consolidation into the super app ecosystem outside of those spaces. Now, you know, I guess the other thing that, another aspect to look at the super app providers, they are, you know, as their consumers uh, travel around the world, their consumers love using that super app construct, and they want to, when they do travel uh, to their vacation spots, they want to be able to use their payment methods. So we have seen the likes of, AliPay and WeChat Pay, especially extending partnerships around the world, so that so that Chinese and Asia Asia Pac uh, travelers can use their QR wallets in these other markets. So you'll see, you know, popular uh, travel hotspots like Hollywood or or New York City. Uh, you know, there will be at at large retailers um, the ability to take those kind of payments.
0: I, I used to live in Beverly Hills, and on Rodeo, they would as soon as the Alipay came around, you would see it in the stickers on the windows, and there was this emphasis, and there was always an individual there that spoke Mandarin, um, that they would say, okay, they can help people with that. So that was really interesting. And I want to stay with you uh, here in Asia for a second, because MasterCard is powering GrabPay uh, for Grab. Could you kind of talk about that partnership? Because I remember Grab in the early days as being the the Uber of Southeast Asia, and now they've morphed into a super app, and they have an incredible relationship with mastercard.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they have and you're right and they and they're, Grab Grab is another great example of a, a firm that started with a focus and then they they extended into other areas of e-commerce and and into this super app ecosystem uh, and they launched their own payment method called GrabPay. That that's the the way people pay. Now, one we call those systems closed loop systems because the payment system that uh, a firm like Grab will build is only only works inside their ecosystem, inside their super app. In order to grow the ecosystem, in other words, to allow GrabPay users to shop at other places, you know, they need to find ways to open up their network. And so that's the kind of partnership that MasterCard seeks to uh, form with companies like GrabPay is where we, we help them open up uh, um, their consumers to more uh, merchants and, and other places to pay by using our, a uh, uh, very large open global mastercard network to to enable that
0: so when you're creating the ability for an individual to pay for a good or a service and let's take grab for example and you mentioned how these individuals like to travel to hollywood or uh, let's use venice italy for example can that and they can they use their grab pay in venice or in hollywood or other parts ar- around the world or are they limited to where grab operates
1: Yeah, so there's, there's a number of different ways but one of the parts of, one part of the one aspect of the a GrabPay relationship that MasterCard has is that we've enabled what we call a digital first card with them so that they can link a, a traditional MasterCard uh, with their GrabPay account so that when they do travel, they can, they can use their MasterCard um, in safe and secure ways everywhere MasterCard is accepted in the world.
0: Was that relationship with the GrabPay since that card has no numbers on it, it's a numberless card, was that the first card to go numberless? Because now in America with Apple and Tim Cook comes out and does a phenomenal job, we have no numbers for your security, but it's like, wait a second, GrabPay had this years ago. Was that the first one to do that?
1: Actually, I think Apple was the first. Uh, probably Apple was the first one to go, uh, what we call, it, use the digital first themes in, t- in technology. And then uh, you know we're bringing that solution to others as well including GrabPay. That's right.
0: Is Are numberless cards the future? Well,
1: I think it's part of the future. Um, you know, cards, cards are ubiquitous. People understand that they're easy to use. They're simple. They fit in our wallet. It's, it's super easy to swipe and, and now to tap, and we could probably talk about tapping some more. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as we move into more digital ways to pay uh, a physical number on a physical card, probably actually becomes less important uh, as we can exchange, simply exchange uh, bits and bytes more easily.
0: From a consumer perspective, it seems to me that it would increase security because I've had my cards compromised and I get a call from the credit card issuer, hey, you've had this charge in XYZ state and I've never been there before. And then with a numberless card, you would just, uh, the bank or the the issuer would just, just change that number and void that transaction instead of having to mail me a, a new plate?
1: Yeah, that's one of the benefits for sure. It really simplifies that whole part of the 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 complexity of traditional you know uh banking relationship with the consumer they don't have to issue the new card they can just change the number digitally on the back end of the, of their systems
0: and if i was using a digital wallet on my phone same thing they would just push a new number to the the phone then as well
1: yeah those numbers basically become dynamic uh and can be changed at any time and they're secured uh in the in the in the network using what we call our tokenization systems
0: this is getting really interesting because in uh, Q2 2020 37% of all Mastercard purchase transactions were contactless up from 28% a year ago. Do you see this contactless trend continuing to uh, accelerate in a post-pandemic world?
1: We do. We do. Contactless transactions were already accelerating and and uh, and in the in the with the pandemic we've seen, you know, the, the need to, to the the needs and interests of consumers and merchants to create a touch-free environment. Has, has just, again, accelerated that, that, that movement. Um, the contactless technologies has probably been around for about 10 years. Um, and it's, it's been, it was relatively slow to take off as, it, as people you know, learned about the opportunity and the ease of use. Uh, where we've seen it really successful and, and when it takes off in, in markets is when we tie it to transportation systems, it's especially uh, subways and bus systems, for example. By creating a super easy, super fast, um, um, you know, digital experience where a consumer can simply grab their card, tap tap a, 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 a you know a terminal, and and continue to moving through their day. And when they see how easy that is and how fast they that it is to use, once we know that once the consumer's done that three times it becomes a habit for them and they want to use their contactless everywhere. So transit is usually sort of the tip of the spear for how we introduce contactless. Uh, but with the pandemic, we're we're seeing contactless, especially in the U.S. and Western Europe, really take off uh, much faster than uh, than it was.
0: And I want to stay on the transportation theme here for a minute because in Tanzania, MasterCard partner with NMB Bank introduced the MasterPass QR, which allows riders of the boat-to-boat of bicycle taxis to pay for their ride. And when I would read all the stuff from the bank and I'd read stuff on blog posts from Tanzania, they talked about how they just, they got hooked on it. Is that similar to what you just mentioned with that example?
1: It is. And, you know, Tanzania is a a unique market in that it's much more uh, of an emerging market, right? They don't have the rich uh, traditional broadband in place, but most consumers have mobile phones and most uh, merchants of, of all sorts have mobile phones. In this case, uh, you know we did partner with one of the large banks there to put together a, um, uh, a platform that uses uh, QR and allows allows consumers to order uh, a, a motorcycle driver to come pick their up, similar, similar to an Uber, but it's, it's all on, done on motorcycles. And it, it enables the motorcycle drivers to now be banked and leverage electronic payments for the, all the safety and security that comes with that. Uh, and it enables a much faster... Um, interaction and and, and an app-based set of suite of interactions too between the consumers and those motorcycle drivers so um, it's it's been a great partnership and it's it is a contactless transaction but not using credit cards necessarily it's using the the mobile phone and qr technology
0: yeah, I would go as far as saying it's, it's innovative and you're you're doing good by the, as the country of Tanzania and the government came out and said a really lot of nice things about your partnership because you're enabling commerce of love, but you're also enabling people to get from destination to destination in a secure way where they don't have to worry about um, you know carrying amounts of cash and they can do it in a safe, convenient way. So I give you a, a lot of credit for that. Thank you. And I want to ask you about this, because the QR code was invented by a Japanese engineer named Masaru Hara in 1994 to track components in car factories. Today, as we've discussed, it's used as a global payment platform. What are your thoughts? And if you looking back, going back to 1994 and this incredible growth of QR, was it Asia? Did that spark this whole thing? Wait a second. We can don't just have to track car components, we can actually conduct commerce on it?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's it. A QR code is such a simple thing. It's a you know it's a, a two dimensional picture of of uh, you know black and white uh, ink. But it but the way but the way the the QR code is constructed, it can c- contain a lot of data, and so it can be used for very simple things. And as a matter of fact, you know we talked about response and and uh, contactless during the pandemic. What a lot of uh, companies have used QR code. Fo- for in the United States, for instance, is, is a very simple way to pull up a menu at a restaurant, right? Today we walk into a restaurant, we take a picture of that QR code with our smartphone, it launches a browser. So really the only thing that the QR code has in it is a, is a URL or a web link to that merchant or that restaurant's website so that we can order online and pay online. Uh, but the QR can also be much more sophisticated as, as you've alluded to. Um, and so that's why we think a lot of these uh, you know startups, especially with the super app platforms in Asia, when they th- sought to create their own system, they realized that they can use the QR to end to store me- much more information about the security between the consumer's bank account, the merchant's bank account. Uh, a lot of other information can be packed into that QR code. So it can be the QR is very dynamic in terms of it being used for very simple, sort
0: of web-based,
1: URL based systems but also much more complex systems like a payment transaction.
0: So uh, give you an example if, if I'm gonna go buy a book say for 1999 and you're gonna go um, I don't know buy a cup of coffee for 299 are those different QR codes since the 299 for your coffee the 1999 for my book is each individual QR code made for different products?
1: Well, could be. There's there's so many ways that that a QR code could be used in in these situations. So, for very small merchants, um, you know, very like uh, very small uh, in emerging markets, uh, micro, what we call micro merchant, or you know, a person selling you know tomatoes on the corner, right? Mm-hmm. So they may only sell tomatoes, but the 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 amount that the consumer buys from them will vary. So they'll have a they might have a, like a, a sticker or a Or a piece of paper just uh, pinned to their shirt and so the consumer can simply take a picture of that qr code they would then enter in the price for the tomatoes whether it's a dollar or five dollars and then they would push the payment to that merchant's account now we can have much more sophisticated qr systems too such that um a qr code could be dynamically generated by a merchant and it could it could contain and represent all the items different items that were purchased for different price points um, and then that could, uh, that could, uh, also, you know, allow for conducting of the, of the payment from the consumer to the merchant. So there's varying aspects and complexities that can be built into that platform.
0: Thank you for shedding light on, on the QR code. Cause I had no idea how innovative the QR code or any idea how much you could do. I would just know that the three little boxes on the corner is what kind of enables it. And then you're saying, wait a second, there's a whole, for lack of a better term, there's a whole operating system underneath this that can allow commerce to flow.
1: Yeah, yeah. There can literally be dozens of elements of information secretly baked into that QR code.
0: Now, when so we have the QR code, as you said at the at the tomato stand, can that operate on any type of phone? And there are different types of since we have different types of phones and operating systems. As the payment uh, company, do you have to build for that for all the different variances that are currently in the market?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's traditionally there's two types of phones, right? What we call a feature phone, which is kind of not a smartphone, but the precursor to a smartphone. Um, and in that case, there, there might be a, um, in certain markets, there's an element called a USSD, and that's a, that's a code that, uh, that a, a person would enter. So a lot of times you'll see a, that, uh, a, a series of numbers underneath a, a, um, a QR code. So if a, if a consumer only has a feature phone, they could type that, um, that code into their phone and then it it would create a session where they could um, um, interact with the merchant. But then anytime there's a smartphone, in other words, a phone with a camera, and that that phone has connectivity through the to the internet, either over the cellular network or through a Wi-Fi network, then you could have a much richer set of experiences across across that kind of wire.
0: So it's scalable from the from the emerging market with less bandwidth, possibly to a more developed market with with faster bandwidth. It's highly scalable.
1: Yeah completely completely and then the next you know i'd say the the evolution of of that technology is what we call nfc technology right so that's the more advanced smartphones that have the nfc chips enabled and built into their into those phones so the android platform um, in particular has opened up their nfc chips so any phone virtually that runs android and has an nfc chip now can act as a contactless device So we can embed, we can put, store our cards, our credit cards, into our phones, similar to, um, you know, Samsung Pay, Google Pay, Apple Pay, uh, and then tap our phones, to, uh, to a contactless reader, or to a, in the future we could talk about a a merchant's phone, uh, and actually conduct payments that way too. So over time we'll move beyond the QR, uh, as more and more uh, consumers and merchants have these. Know more feature-rich smartphones with NFC chips.
0: So NFC chips is pretty much the future for this payment technology. So start with QR, then it's evolving to NFC.
1: Yeah, and so, I mean, a lot of places skip the QR or or, or never went to QR, and, and NFC and contactless, you know, is already present. That so that would be the case, say, like in uh, in the UK or in Australia, uh, but certainly in the in these in emerging markets, um, like we've mentioned. China, Southeast Asia, certain parts of Africa. QR has been a, a starting point for them.
0: And I'm happy you mentioned the the, the Android NFC because Mastercard is now allowing uh, processing to ha- to happen, so you can pay to a, tap a phone to pay. Is that a trend that you're going to see that's going to start to expand? So uh, you go back to let's I don't know. My daughter likes lemonade stands, and you go to the lemonade stand. I can tap her phone and pay the the dollar fifty to the phone. Is that going to start evolving now?
1: It is. It is about. Two or three years ago, we with our industry partners developed some new standards that that allows for these types of transactions in a safe way. Um, and so we, we, we call this merchant tap on phone. And so it really, it allows any, any person that sells something that already has a smartphone with an NFC chip to use that as their point of sale device. Traditionally, uh, a, a micro or small merchant would have to go to their bank or maybe go to a company like Stripe or Square or or, or others to, to rent or purchase point-of-sale equipment. And although the prices have come down on, on that type of equipment, there still is an extra set of fees and an extra set of maintenance that has to be done. We think the tap-on-phone technology, where the where the merchant's phone is the point-of-sale device, will solve for a lot of that complexity but dramatically reduce costs for these merchants, especially small merchants. And so over the next couple of years, we're going to see... Uh, a massive wave of innovation uh as large banks small banks roll these types of solutions out along with their fintech partners to merchants all around the world so literally we 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 expect there to be millions if not hundreds of millions of uh, smartphones as point of sale devices over the next several years
0: you, you mentioned that it- you know it's going to reduce costs, but to me as a consumer it, you're going to reduce friction so when we come back and we're at a sporting event and you want to buy a hot dog or something just to be able to tap that so they don't have to go through that whole process you have to find your wallet and take your wallet out you'll eliminate friction in that you're going to create a better experience for me and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch because as we continue the society to grow as contactless it's fantastic but the technical part of me says as all this contactless payments come online do we have the technical infrastructure to be able to ensure that this can scale?
1: Yeah, so we do. I mean, the great the great thing today is we're using the existing you know wireless networks and Wi-Fi networks uh, to enable this, and now with the advent of five G um, coming to, coming to life and and new phones that bring brought to market leveraging 5g technology you know we'll, we'll even see richer experiences being able to there'll be the simple tap of the phone but we also expect that there'll be a richer set of experiences between the between the seller and the buyer um, so you can imagine you know the seller being able to offer me a discount if I if I come to my local coffee shop before a certain time at a certain day right and maybe that pops up on the day I usually visit the competitor's coffee shop. So because we're gonna have more bandwidth and richer interfaces and, and, and better built smartphone apps, the, the, the ways that, that merchants from their phones will be able to communicate to consumers on their phones is, you know, the, it's bewildering to, to, to start to even try to imagine what the innovation could be. That, that what, what are developers and innovators gonna come up with now that we've got these foundations in place? It's very exciting.
0: It's very exciting. It's going to be fun, and there's going to be a common denominator across the board of partnerships. And Mastercard has partnerships with Apple, Google, and Samsung. Could you kind of share at a high level these partnerships, and is this part of a larger overall partnership strategy for Mastercard?
1: Yeah, I mean, our you know our foundation is to is to be a global partner to virtual virtually all innovators around the world, right? We, we've talked about our global platform and how that's recognized as open, secure, and safe. And interoperable, and it's important for us also, therefore, to bring the right kind of tools and technologies so that other innovators can, can build upon our network and our multi rail strategy. So yes, we absolutely are partnering with the world's leading uh, fintechs, the world's leading global commerce platforms, the way you talk, the way you've mentioned, uh, phone manufacturers, telecom uh, infrastructure companies, all sorts of all sorts of innovators.
0: And, and with innovators, you're always thinking about how do you eliminate friction? How do I build a market? And we're seeing this giant shift in the globally towards electric vehicles. And today, you have to get the app out of, your, out of your pocket or you have to put your credit card in to pay for charging. To me, this seems like, okay, there's a really ripe opportunity here to put contactless payments and the car rolls up and says, okay, Mr. Glazer, uh, we now boom, and, and away you go. Are, are we going to see anything with contactless payments go into electric vehicles in the future to pay for charging?
1: I think we are absolutely. I think that'll be that'll be key. You can imagine the same technology and the standards that we're putting in place to enable tap on phone. You can imagine just you know a SIM card that's put in a car with an NFC chip in the car having the same impact. Whether you're you know driving through your your fast to, to pick up fast food or you're or you're driving in to charge your car or to get uh, gasoline, any of those use cases uh, are going to be going to be possible to pay or or to be paid.
0: I'm happy you brought up fast food because on a previous podcast uh, we had Nicole West from Chipotle talking about Lanes and how Chipotle's working on this whole contactless experience for for food pickup. But you're the glue that's going to hold this together because Mastercards going to enable that transaction to come. So this is getting r- really exciting, and I'd love to ask you this: You Mastercard has this really long hi- history of innovation. All your public statements around innovation, your leadership from from your CEO to your incoming CEO or about innovation. Something tells me you've got something big cooking inside of Mastercard that's going to knock the socks off of consumers like me, investors on Wall Street. So, what's next for Mastercard? I think you know, I think what what we're most proud of is the
1: is the ability to 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 always be looking around those those corners ahead of us, right? We we don't we don't sit back on our laurels. We've, you know, we've seen plenty of of companies that have done that and ma- made those mistakes. Um, we certainly don't want to be in that position. So we're always looking ahead. We've, we, we, we do invest tremendously in next generation thinking uh, and innovation. You know, there's a few things that are on our radar that, that we've been working on for a number of years and that, you know, just laying the groundwork through uh, testing, prototyping, partnerships and patents. You know, some of the things that are super interesting for us are blockchain technology uh, and the potential to part with Uh, to partner with uh, governments and other uh, technology firms to really think about uh, digital currencies and blockchain and how they can be used in unique ways to help society in the future. Uh, Artificial intelligence is is tremendously important to make our our networks smarter and more efficient and safer. Um, Another area is uh, is what we've discussed a little bit already, which is our thinking about the next generation point of sale systems. Uh, how smartphone technology, contactless technology, and the ability to to create offers uh, and, and notifications and, and create this much richer interaction between merchants and consumers. These are all areas that we're really excited about and working on strategic partnerships and innovation for the coming years right now.
0: Well, it's very clear that you're preparing for the future. And as we look to wrap up this conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them about MasterCard in the future of payments
1: yeah so a couple things i think you know our leadership team is really focused on 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 being decent right so we're we're a we're a large you know uh multinational organization we 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 have an internal saying of you know we we say we we do well by doing good um and we're really proud of that you know we're we're focused on a number of partnerships right now um, to giving back to the planet with our Priceless Planet uh, initiative, where we're 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 working with companies around the world to encourage folks to grow trees and to create a more green economy using using the great resources we have. We're continuously uh, investing in small business. We have a goal to bring a billion consumers into the into the electronic payments ecosystem around the world uh, over the next several years. So we're really excited about about of course bringing technology and payments to the planet, but also you know, being a major constituent on the world stage in terms of, in terms of doing good for, for our fellow citizens and the planet as well.
0: As we've heard on this podcast, MasterCard is not only enabling the future payments, but they're doing good in society. And Dave, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today and share your incredible insights into the payments industry because I learned a lot today. So thank you very much.
1: You're welcome, Grayson. Grace, great to be here.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you would like to hear more, please rate, review, and kindly let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Tune in next week for an innovative conversation with Deloitte. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.